2: Was six points enough for the U.S. Men's National Team in the January World Cup qualifying window? And whose stock rose and fell the most in the U.S. Men's National Team? All of that and more on this episode of FIFA America. What's up, guys? I'm Jake here in London, joined by Tom in New Mexico, Ryan in Germany, and Manny will be joining us midway through in Chicago. So how is everyone? I'm going to start with Ryan, since I know you just got back from a long week uh, of work trip. Now you're back here talking U.S. Men's National Team. How's everything on your end?
0: Yeah, man, thrilled to be back. Uh, it was definitely a long week. Uh, went to let's see, three different countries in a matter of five days, going to check a few things out. So it's good to be home. You know, I I'm not one that really likes living out of a suitcase and sleeping in you know beds that aren't my own. So there's there's nothing better than that first sleep back in your own bed when you get home. So. Happy to jump back on with you guys. Had a chance to finally watch the Honduras match once I got home. And now looking forward to breaking it all down.
2: Awesome. How about you, Tom? Mr. Haircut.
3: Yeah,
0: got a new haircut
3: yesterday. (laughs) Um, I used something like 40 gigs of streaming data last week between podcasts and U.S. and national team games uh, off my phone. And so I'm now in my office trying to get some good internet here uh, to record a podcast life's pretty good it's a little bit quiet around here so you know looking forward to talking some soccer and had just you know continuing on the grind
2: nice well we're definitely going to lean on you for those scenarios going into the the last window after you've run your simulations you can let all of us know what's going to go down in these last three games so before we get started though i do just want to thank everyone that has watched throughout the qualifiers the live streams the videos We were able to hit 3,000 subscribers, and we have a bunch of new Patreons, so I just want to thank everyone so much for the support. We're gunning now for 5,000 subscribers for the March qualifiers, so can you help us get there? Hit that red button, hit the subscribe button, and let's talk about this window. There was a lackluster win, 1-0 versus El Salvador in Columbus, a crushing loss, many would say. I think I will call it that, a crushing loss against Canada in Canada. And an easy win against Honduras, against a team that was dead in the water and didn't have much effort left in them, with tons of storylines to talk about. Tom, I want to start with you, you here. What was your biggest takeaway from the qualifying window?
3: My biggest takeaway was we got the job done to the bare minimum argument that you can say that so it didn't look great i think there's definitely a lot to talk about with our offensive output and the way that we break down these low blocks but big picture the goal is to qualify for cotter and the way you do that is win at home and steal a couple results on the road we won at home that's bare minimum we did the job we would have been nice to get the win at canada we would feel feeling a lot more safe the march window wouldn't look as terrifying, but we got the bare minimum results we need so that I'm feeling at least comfortable and you know, not sweating
2: nervously going into March. And Ryan, you were someone that was really hoping for nine points across the window. We got six of them, so about 66% of the way done. What did you think you know, of the window now that it's over?
0: Not good enough. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, plain and simple, not good enough. Couple things. things, if, if we wanna go macro view, one of the couple things that my takeaway is going to be is one, let's never plan games in Minnesota during like February again. Can we please like, I don't, especially when we're playing, you know, the, the, a team like Honduras, I, I don't, that so far they haven't won a game during qualifying. We don't need to put our players through that. We don't need some sort of advantage to try to like give us a leg up. It, it just seems ridiculous. So hopefully we learned something from that. Um, And secondly, my biggest takeaway is I'm very curious to see what other formations or at least what other tactics Greg can put. It's it's looking like he has one system and and not a lot else besides that. Uh, And so far, we haven't really been able to produce a lot from open play. And, you know, I think that's very concerning. Yeah, we had, you know, the 3-0 win against Honduras, but to come away from the window with one, like one goal from open play in three games is, is scary. I, I just don't like to see that. So, you know, I, it, it's the same of what we've seen from Greg, but, you know, I really think that hopefully I, after this window that he can tinker a little bit more, he tends to be someone that tends to overanalyze and overthink things, but, God, show me something. If you're gonna, over, what are you overthinking? If you're just doing the same thing every single time, so hopefully a little bit more creativity coming up in the next window.
2: It is tough though, with so much pressure on the team and so much pressure on Greg to get the results to lock us into the World Cup and punch our ticket. It's a hard case to make that you should experiment at that point. So, what, what the, do you want to see, si- Ryan?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not saying like, you know, blow the whole thing up and start all over. Uh, You know, I think we saw a little difference in having Luca De La Torre on the field. I think he changed the game and changed the way we play a little bit. Uh, It's, it's nice to see that we have other people besides MMA in the middle that can progress the ball forward. You know, I, a lot of people have been praising Acosta. I think he played well as the six and just staying back. Uh, But you know, I, a lot of what everybody wants to highlight for him is like, oh, you know, he, he plays great set pieces. I need more from you I, than that. Like, I, I just it's a nice addition to have to the midfield and to the team. But I don't think we have enough talent on our team to have a player on the pitch just to take free kicks. And I think Acosta did play well defensively. So, you know, he he did the job. He showed that as the backup to Tyler Adams, he, he brings something to the table. Uh, But I would like to see Greg maybe, you know, being willing to to either like play either old school a little bit U.S. soccer and and respond a little bit to the way the other teams are playing. So if they are a team that's going to be possessing the ball and they want to bring the game to us, then maybe bunker a little bit. Maybe go ahead and feel free to let teams play up a little bit and open up that space in behind. But what we need to see is different patterns of play too when we're playing teams like Canada who want to concede possession to us and want to open up that space for themselves to counter. We need to have... We've we've seen the patterns of play so far of playing it out wide and then crossing across the middle over and over and over again. We've seen that since, hell, Panama 2019, that was like what we were doing. Uh, so I, I would like to see some different patterns of play. Maybe I think, you know, the... I think it was the no no the Zimmerman no not the Zimmerman goal. Uh, there was a few times it was the one that Waya didn't finish, but there was a little chip over the top with Weya running in behind. That's something we haven't seen. That was a say that us. ball. Yeah, <laughs> that was definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like I said, I I think I think he did a decent job, but I'd like to see things like that. Like I I want to see different patterns of play. That's something we haven't seen once. So just you know have other ideas than just one one style of soccer and of playing it out wide and using our triangles outside to then cross the ball and you know hope for the best
2: i do think that really crushed us against canada the fact that we played exactly how they expected us to play we were slow we in transition yeah, yeah we we did and one of the reasons for that is because we basically showed them all of our cards with every other game that we had played And Canada knew exactly our passing patterns, exactly who to isolate and give space to, exactly where the ball was going to be at any point in time. And that that was very easy to defend. We didn't play it quickly. We played the exact way that you could expect us to play. So I do agree with that, actually, that maybe at some points we should bunker a little bit more. Maybe we should play a 4-4-2 with Jesus Ferreira and and, uh, Ricardo Pepe up top. Maybe we should play a three in the back and try it again. It didn't work against Honduras, but you also tried to play Tyler Adams, a right wing back, and James Sands with Callan Acosta and the two center midfielders. So it does bother me a little bit that every time he tries something new and it doesn't work, he doesn't necessarily look at, did it work because of decisions that I made or did it not work because of the formation or the way that we tried to play? So maybe a five in the back does work if you play Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney as the two midfielders instead of Kellen Acosta and James Sands. It's it's tough to watch this 4-3-3 continue to go over and over. Same patterns of play, easy to defend. Even against El Salvador, we had one goal. We we didn't have many great opportunities. We we have to say that Jesus Ferrer missed some easier chances, but at the same time, I mean, we we should have been beating El Salvador more than 1-0 and just kind of dragging our feet through that game. And Honduras, again, no no goals from open play. A team that was dead in the water wasn't going to qualify no matter what happened. Their coach said before the game that this was not about enjoyment. It was about enduring <laughs> and suffering. That is a team that you shouldn't need to bring to Minnesota in February to play in negative temperatures. So a lot of things that I can complain about. I do want to appreciate, though, that we got the, the six points. We put ourselves in a position where we are in control of our destiny, at least. We have to beat Panama at home. And I assume that Costa Rica isn't going to get the entire nine points in the last window. And if those two things interact with each other, then the US is through automatically. Although we will go through some scenarios that can happen potentially. Costa Rica has kind of kept themselves alive. So that's one big point from this window that I want to make sure everybody knows about is Costa Rica was able to bring themselves within distance of that fourth and even the automatic qualifying spots, depending on their results from this last window. Mm -hmm. All right. What do you guys want to see change? So Ryan, you talked about the formations. There were a lot of storylines around Christian Pulisic and if he was used effectively, should he have been rested in that last game? Tom, what do you think was kind of the big issue that you want to see maybe acted on differently or something that you want to see in this next window?
3: I think tempo of play is my big issue. So we saw every broadcaster complain about it. We've seen every fan complain about it. It's so obvious that when the ball turns over, Every single player, even these really high-energy counterattacking players, take two touches, settle the ball, play it back, get back into possession. Every single time someone seems imbalanced, the possession is actually disorganized someone. They make one or two passes and then decide, oh, no, no, we've not done this the right way. We've got to disorganize them the right way. There feels like there's no tempo to recognize when a team is off balance to go at them and take advantage of when the shape is not there. And that has to change, even if you don't change the formation. When you change the tempo, when you're taking advantage of moments where you have an advantage, you can start to disorganize and break teams down who are through open play and get some goals. And we haven't seen that yet, especially this window and especially against Canada. That was very evident. From a formation standpoint, we got to do something with Christian Pulisic. There have been some great arguments for moving him to the right, whether or not he might interact better with Regino Dest and not interfere with his space instead of Anthony Robinson. We know Tim Weah can play out there. There's been talk that he might be better centrally. Even Burhalter mentioned a press conference, they might try him centrally at some point. Maybe try a 4 2 3 1. You have the players that you could run a really nice 4 2 3 1 with an Adams McKenney double pivot or with a Delatori or a Costa and McKenney double pivot. There are ways that you can take advantage of Pulisic's strengths. If he wants to play in the middle, fine. We got to change the formation to accommodate that. And so, right now, for me, it's figuring out better ways to to utilize Christian Pulisic because clearly the left is not working. And it's about tempo and pace of play and making sure that we're taking advantage of moments where teams are disorganized.
2: Now, Gio Reyna will likely be back for the U.S. in this March window, so we'll have to figure out if he is a winger or a midfielder <laughs> for the U.S. Men's National Team. And now that we get to look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? The roster selections were a big question mark coming into this camp. John Brooks was left at Wolfsburg. CCV was left at Celtic, who had two shutouts during the window against Rangers and today against Motherwell. Some other big name players, Jordan Pifak had two goals today. For young boys, we were just begging for goals. We were hungry for goals for the U.S. Men's National Team. Zardes, Ferreira, Pepe didn't get it done. Now that you get to look back, what did you think of Greg's roster selections?
3: I struggle to feel like the striker issue is a... Personnel problem. I don't feel like even if fox scoring goals, even if sergeant scoring goals, that any of our strikers were set up to succeed in this window. I mean, Pepe looked out of it. Ferreira had to create his own moments of magic for the most part, except for one set up on the silver platter for him. Zardes was asked to play a possession game when that's clearly not his game. Our strikers are not being set up to succeed. We could throw Robert Lewandowski out there, and I don't think he'd score more than a goal every five games for the U.S. right now. There is clearly a system problem that is causing striker after striker to look bad and when all of your strikers are the same they might have slightly different skill sets none of them are going to succeed and so i feel like until we figure out the system some of the personnel problems don't really bother me right now do you agree Ryan?
0: yeah i I mean i would agree with that partially uh i do think that and, and i'm and i'm not putting this on Zardes; i would put it more on greg Everything we heard about during the Canada game was, you know, cold weather, small pitch, and you hear Greg talking in the press conference about physicality, and we're gonna, you know, it's gonna be a real like m- tough match, and we're gonna have to outmuscle them and outwork them. I don't know. I, I'll be the first to admit I'm no major tactician, but what seems to make common sense to me is like I've played enough five aside on small fields. You know who's really good on all your five aside teams? you guys that are really good technically. You guys, you're guys, guys that are really good in tight spaces. So if you're going to tell me that the field's smaller and it's going to be condensed, to me at least, the answer doesn't seem to be, well, then let's out-muscle them. It, it seems to be, okay, well, let's break them down and move the ball quickly and see if we can get in behind. That seems like it would just make more sense. So the selection of Zardes and the style of play for the Canada match, again, is just a complete head-scratcher. Uh, it's scary that, you know, we, we, as fans can kind of see these things and yet Greg over and over again, continues to, to go to the same well, uh, you know, everybody's been clamoring for Luca De La Torre for a long time. And, you know, he was told after the first couple, his first appearance with the, the national team that he wasn't good enough in transition. And that's why Greg wasn't bringing him in well. If anybody's watching, as as Luca De La Torre pronounces it, Heracles, uh, then you can see that he's good in transition. It, it's just crazy that, like, me sitting on my couch in Germany can see this. How does Greg not see it? Uh, so it, it's just frustrating to see that select like that narrow mindedness from Greg to think he's the smartest guy in the room all the time. When I would hope there's a few other people that are hopefully giving some other ideas to him, and hopefully he's
3: a little bit more open minded to listen. Yeah. Did you guys see the pass map for the Canada game as to where every player's average position was? Our,
0: yeah, I saw you post it, um, <laughs> but I can't we, remember it off the top of my head.
3: It basically, if you look at it, for one, Pulisic was way too narrow, but Pulisic and Wea were almost, or Pulisic and who was the second winger? Was it uh, Aronson? Aronson? We're basically playing as two strikers with Zardes as a ten and a diamond midfield. By the end of the game, and I looked at that map and thought, huh. Jesus Ferreira would have made a lot more sense if we were trying this instead of Jossi Zardes. You want Zardes to be way higher than the wingers in that system where he's in the box, literally just camped out waiting for balls to fall at his feet. Instead, we're asking him to combine in the center circle, which makes no sense. I feel like we, if we were going to select the strikers we selected, why did we select them for the games we did, given that I think Zardes would have made a lot more sense for El Salvador or Pepe and that Ferreira was almost tailor-made for a game in Canada.
2: You took the point right out of my mouth, Tom. (laughs) I I was about to say, I think we switched up the strikers. You can argue if Zardes or Ferreira should have been on the roster in the first place, but also the fact that Zardes played against Canada when we probably could have used a more technical striker like Ferreira. We used Ferreira when we were trying to cross the balls into the box when we could have used a striker like Zardes. It just seemed completely mixed up and wrong. But (laughs) Ryan, I know you wanted to jump into this
0: I just don't understand. I feel like we've massively underutilized Pepe this weekend, or over the window. Like I just don't understand why he only made one appearance. I mean, this is a guy that has proven, you know, throughout qualifying that at this point, when he gets called into camp, you know, we haven't lost a game when he starts. So you know he's he's stepped up over and over again for us. For him to only play one game, it just it, it boggles my mind. And I think it, it, it's the decisions like this that lead people to believe that, you know, Greg has favorites and there's an MLS quota. It's like, I'm not saying these things are true, but I'm just saying that these are the decisions that make people think that. When, you know, you have somebody like Zardes, and I'm sorry, I know a lot of people are talking about the Bosnia game and all the friendlies they played. Zardes hasn't played a game since fucking November. Like, what are we doing playing him in a game against, at that time, the best opponent in CONCACAF? Like, it's just crazy to me. Yet you have a guy that's been training and played two games already over for Augsburg and has stepped up for the national team.
2: To play the Uno reverse card on you, Ryan. Yeah, please do. That's your biggest mistake is to try and understand what Greg's doing. (laughs) You're right. You're right. I've, it's, I've it's said worth it multiple times too.
3: that that's the biggest one I say. Yeah. It's worth noting, too, though, that for Pepe has a massive goal-scoring drought, and his confidence doesn't seem to be there right now. Uh, he's, he didn't look very involved against Honduras. He hasn't scored in over 1,200 minutes. His last game, his last goal came in mid-October for Club or Country. He's definitely got some stuff to sort out, and it feels like Burhalter might be sort of asking him to sort that out as his club over the next few months before giving him – pressure-filled minutes with the national team, but I don't think that argument
2: holds a lot of water. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't shortly, quickly discuss some of Greg's comments in the post-game press conferences. After the 2-0 loss against Canada, he continued to say that we dominated the game, and even the day after. So before the Honduras game, he was asked to clarify his comments if he was able to watch back the game, if he still thought that. And he doubled down and said, Yes, we absolutely dominated that game. What's going on in in his head? Does he truly believe that? Or is he trying to, you know, protect his players, protect his team? What is happening? What is reality? What is life? <laughs> you, someone please answer me. <laughs>
0: I mean, frankly, I just think it's arrogance. I think it's, like we've said, Greg always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Uh, you can see in previous interviews that he's done as well. Uh, if anybody tries to challenge him in that media room, he jumps down their throat. Like, he's he's the epitome, in my mind, of, like, kind of a big fish in a small pond. So he thinks he knows everything. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. But Greg, you're getting ready to go to the World Cup. You're gonna about to go to the biggest pond in soccer that there is. So unless you get your head right, you're gonna find out that you're a minnow real fast.
3: My favorite comment from the post game had to be his comment about how they—if you go back and look at the duel stat—they totally outdueled Canada. And then the next tweet below that is the stat saying they lost every, lost the duels battle both in the air and on the ground, which. Come on, man. You've got to do your job a little bit better than that. I I don't think we played terrible against Canada. I think we did fairly well in the midfield. But you can't watch a game where you lost 2-0 and basically played right into your opponent's hands and say you dominated it. It just, that's not good optics. It's factually just not true. Even as someone who wasn't that disappointed by the game, I just don't understand where he's coming from and why he continues to do stuff like this.
2: Yeah. Before we move to stock up, stock down, there's one other quote that he gave after the Honduras game, which I found hilarious, which was uh, he was asked about Luca De La Torre's performance and he said something to the effect of, well, he was my man of the match. He finally got the start from me and we saw what he could do on the pitch. It was like, kind of like he was patting himself on the back for, for finding, this great unknown talent in Luca De La Torre, when everyone has been just like, please, pr- like, screaming at Greg to start this guy or to at least give him minutes. This he didn't even get substitution minutes in the previous two games, and oh. everyone can see what he's doing at Heracles, Heracles, as Luca says it, uh, to, to correct myself, but yeah, he, he kind of gave himself credit as Greg. We're playing Luka in that game. What what do we need to like? What needs to happen for Greg to get on the same level with fans?
0: Oh, that'll never happen. Uh, I appreciate your optimism, but that will never happen. Uh, I think you know he's he is going to have the people that seem to get a lot of face time with him that he will always feel more most comfortable with. Putting them out there in a pinch. If you look throughout all of qualifying, all of his substitute has all of his substitutions have been Greg guys for most of the games. You know, even a lot of the roster call ups that we've seen. This past roster call up to me, I thought you know we leaned very heavily on guys that got a lot of face time in front of Greg. Now, granted, you know guys like Kemal Acosta, skeptical of in, in the past. I think you know really. Came out and showed exactly what his role can be on this team. You know, I, I think if we're looking at our central midfielders, there there is a role for him to be in there, not as necessarily the biggest impact guy, but see out a game and then be the backup for Tyler Adams. But I just don't think Greg is Greg is never gonna call in a lineup of John Brooks, Eric Palmer Brown, CCV, Alex Mendes, Richie Ledesma. Joe Scally, you know, even it's crazy to say at this point, like P. PFOC, those are guys that have been out of out of the picture for a long time. And, you know, guys that are continuing to get call-ups over and over again are, you know, Zardes. And we look at, I, like, I don't know, for me, I I don't rate Yedlin that highly, it's just me. Uh, but, you know, you see him constantly getting called in. You see, Roldan, apparently Roldan and Legette, this this could have been... One of for one of them, it could have been their last camp. We will see. Uh, but those are the rumors that are floating around. That I mean, the, with the way Luca played, you cannot take him out of your your twenty three. Yeah. Because he just showed that you know. Because it's it's interesting to see actually in the MMA midfield that everybody adores. I'd say that De La Torre does a lot of things that are pretty similar to Musa, but his passing is a little bit better. Uh, you know, and I think Musa, as he continues to get minutes and grow, he's still extremely young. Uh, that easily, that's in his in his future. But you know, in games where we need to break break people down a little bit more, maybe dribbling isn't the answer. It's, it's interesting to see that maybe even the MMA midfield needs a little bit of tinkering as well.
2: Yeah, MLA.
3: <laughs> Some lamb flashbacks to. <laughs> old grammar essays I had to write. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. So speaking of Luca De La Torre, I'm sure he's going to come up in this next segment, but we need to talk about the players that had the high, the most stock risen in this camp. So players that really just solidified their position in the 23 and are pretty much lost roster locks for the March window, as long as they continue to produce for their club teams I want to hear from you guys who that person was for you. It can be the same person, that's fine. But Tom, who is your player with the most stock gained?
3: I think for me, it's got to be Timothy Weah, who was very good against El Salvador, clearly showed how much he was missed against Canada, and then was our best attacker against Honduras, and just a fantastic player. I really liked watching him play. He's in the best form of American attackers, and especially when you watch him side-by-side with Pulisic. It's just night and day, how well he combines with his teammates, how well he stretches the field, gets in behind, has good service, is just always willing to take a shot at goal, and just makes things happen. It's just fantastic watching him play, and he's almost got to be a lockdown starter for me at the national team at this point. And Pulisic doesn't, which is crazy.
2: That's tough. Mm. You you can make some arguments around Aronson, around Reyna... (laughs) <laughs> I know. You, you can make arguments, Ryan. I'm not saying it's correct or not. I'm just saying there will be people if Pulisic doesn't get playing time at Chelsea or doesn't produce with this time at Chelsea come March, that maybe there's a different setup to this team.
0: So so let's play that scenario out a little bit, you know, or at least give it a, a, what I would see as a close analogy. Everyone was doubting Serginio S coming into this window, not getting minutes at Barcelona. He's on the way out. His coach doesn't like him. He crushed for us. This, this window, he was very reliable, great defensively. And, you know, for a skillful player like him, I don't expect to see these guys. And again, like Pulisic, I don't expect to see these guys tearing it up and looking pacey and dribbling by people in either small fields or tough conditions that, you know, I, it, I've seen Christian enough. I've seen the player he is. Even if he's not getting minutes, I don't doubt it. I, I The moment he steps into camp, I think that he, he gets his starting spot with us. Uh, you know, I think, again, how we were talking about, you know, tactically, maybe that's a little bit part of the problem as well. I will say Christian over this window was a bit predictable. Pretty much every single time he got the ball, it seemed like he wanted to just Put it on his right foot, drive inside, and either pass or try to get off a shot. I would like to see him, you know, mix that a little bit. Try to get to the end line sometimes, and then because it did seem like defenders kind of knew what he was going to do, but I would attribute a small part of that again when you when you're a player that relies on quickness and pace, and it's below zero degrees, that's going to affect you a bit. Yeah, Pulisic on a sunny day in Qatar is is going to be roasting people. I feel very confident about that.
3: I don't know. I, I still feel like he might have lost a step. And for me, that's a big worry that he, after all these injuries, even at Chelsea, has not really looked as explosive as he did, you know, back in Project Restart. And I just feel like I worry that if he can't be that explosive player who can constantly take people on and he has lost a step, which is a b- major fear at this point, then I'm not sure if he brings as much as a Gio Reyna and a Tim Weah, if you're looking at wingers. Or if you're looking at his an attacking midfielder, as maybe a Brendan Aronson. He's just, he looks great as a super sub, but I'm not sure that his explosive, if he's not got that same explosiveness he had, that he's a 90 minute starter for me right now.
2: I mean, I think it's fair to say that he didn't do himself any favors in this window. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on that, just yeah. being yeah. honest with yeah. each other. But at the same time, I will go back to something that Sam from Yank Report said to me, which was, if we were going into Canada... And Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David were having poor form. They hadn't scored in a few games. And John Herdman was considering putting them on the bench against the US. We would be celebrating that decision. Right. Mm-hmm. And Pulisic has done enough to solidify his position as the most dangerous attacker for the US, the number 10 for Chelsea. Again, I know he didn't do any favors to himself this window, but. It feels like if we can say you know, the the way that we played, we'll throw that up to why our number nines didn't score goals. And we can also throw that up to why Christian Pulisic was predictable, or the weather and the conditions. But when we get to March, I mean, suns are going to be out again. Suns out, guns out. It's going to be March. Christian Pulisic will hopefully be in a bit better form. And we'll see where we're at when we get to that point. But if everyone's healthy, It's going to be, there are going to be a lot of great discussions to be had. I'm a little scared (laughs) uh, of how to get our best 11 on the field all together, playing their best football. Ryan, who was your player with the most gained in this window?
0: So I've already touched on Luca. I've already touched on Serginho. I think those two players definitely had massive windows. Um, But I really think one of the biggest, and Tom, I would totally agree with you hundred percent that, Uh, Timothy Weah absolutely had a massive window, but I'm going to say Walker Zimmerman. You know, for me, I've been talking about how he was even center back five for me three weeks ago. Uh, The dude just continues to show up day in and day out every time he's called upon. It seems like he has you know, a a B plus A minus game pretty much every time. And if you can tell me from a center back that that's what I'm going to get every single time is consistency, then that's the number one thing I want out of one of my center backs. So to see, you know, the injury to to Chris, that was, you know, pretty brutal to see, to see him almost, you know, tearful on the pitch absolutely crushed me. Uh, You know, he's doing well. He was on the bike today. I don't know if you guys saw that. He, He did post it on his Instagram. So slowly improving. I think I mod said something about uh, end of February, maybe early March for his return. So we'll, we'll track that uh, again, a, a high ankle sprain. Uh, we talked about this a bit in the discord is an extremely tough injury to come back from depending on the degree of the sprain. So everyone knows you, we've all rolled our ankles like where, you know, you kind of roll it over on the side. Yeah, that's your, your regular ankle sprain. But when the foot everts out, that's when we have a high ankle sprain where the tibia and the fibula come together. There's a small tendon there called your syndesmosis. And when that thing stretches out, it's, it's not like it just comes right back together. That thing stretches out and stays loose and it takes a long time to get that thing to heal back up. So with Chris being out for a while and having Walker, you know, just really step up over this window, miles, I think, looked a little shaky, especially if you consider the, the Canada game, uh, you know, Kyle Larin really, really kind of bossed him, at least on the goal, for sure. So, you know, I think it, that, again, is another reason why we want to get miles abroad. So, in short, the for me, one of the biggest, you know, players up, just for me personally, because I didn't see him rated as highly, was Walker Zimmerman. I, I came away from this window, you know, really respecting what he brings to the table. And, uh, you know, just seeing that the guy is Mr. Consistency, pretty much.
2: It's interesting to hear who you guys thought were the biggest stock up players, because if we go back to that Canada game, two players that weren't on the pitch for us were Walker Zimmerman and Timothy Weah and look at the result. So there might be something to that uh, argument that you guys are making. I want to shout out Anthony Robinson for his contributions this window. He Huge. was excellent. Yeah. I don't necessarily feel like there's any left backs that are really close to him in the depth chart. And, since there was only one left back on the roster. There wasn't really anyone chasing him anyway. But the fact that he put in three 90-minute performances for the U.S., he had a goal, he was dangerous, he was defensively solid. He was kind of a, a rock in the back on the left side. I really just need to call him out for just how consistent he was for 90 minutes over three games in seven days. That is... Yeah, really difficult to ask of anyone, but the fact that we knew this was going to happen with him being the only true left back on the roster and he did it and he played well and he performed and he produced, I'm I'm giving my stock up to Anthony, even though there's nobody behind him (laughs) that's catching up anyway. Whereas with Walker Zimmerman, there's lots of center backs to talk about with Timothy Way, there's lots of wingers to talk about. I don't care. Jedi did an amazing job (laughs) this window. And I was really happy to see him succeed in that way. Remember right, back in
3: 2019 when everyone was just going after Robinson for getting turned by it was some Brazilian winger? Diego Costa. It Was it Costa? Yeah. Remember how, how much crap he got from American fans after that? He's come so far since then. I am so proud of him and just so happy to see him succeed and become indispensable, especially given the history of U.S. left backs. It's just fantastic to see.
2: He's also a young player, high ceiling. There's lots more growth to go, and that speaks to almost every single player for the U.S. men's national team that's involved with the team right now. Even Luca De La Torre, I think, is 22 or 23. The player mm-hmm. that we're con- we're you know, rating his performances against Yunus Musa is 18. Like, there's a five year difference, but they're both <laughs> under 24 <laughs> at this point. Like. They're, they're not in the primes of their careers. This isn't the best soccer that they'll ever play. And that's something that we can look forward to as U.S. Men's National Team fans. All right, guys, let's flip it to the other side now, the players whose stock fell the most. I'm going to start this one off, if I may, and say Miles Robinson, I did not think had a great window. You know, when we talk about him going abroad and challenging himself, this is kind of what we're talking about now. Maybe it's the fact that he hasn't played a competitive game in a few months. Maybe it's the fact that Walker Zimmerman was supposed to start that game, but was injured, so it was on short notice. But either way, against Canada, he did not perform to his best. And I really just didn't see what I usually see from Miles Robinson. The the things that we saw all summer going into the fall, him kind of locking in one of those two center back positions because of his play, And because of how dominant he has been in the back, in the air, all of that, I didn't necessarily see that in this window. But how how about you guys? Let's go in reverse order. Ryan, who is your biggest stock down player?
0: Yeah, so Miles has got to be kind of the biggest takeaway from the window. If you want to talk about guys who had stock really high that came down, uh, yeah, I think it's got to be Miles. Um, You know, he just didn't look, look himself. And I think we can learn a little bit from this. It's, it cracks me up and I do it too. I think we're all guilty of it. Window by window, we come out of the window crowning someone as our savior and saying that, you know, they're God's gift to earth and, you know, vice versa too. We do the same thing. Look at, I mean, I would consider this the same thing, kind of what we're doing to Pulisic right now. He's not just you, Tom. I'm totally not saying just you, but you're seeing this everywhere. He's lost a step. He's not, you know, he's peaked. He's on his way back down. He's never going to be the player that we once saw. That's why, for me, you know, I'm, I'm reserving judgment on them. But if we want to grade just this window, sure. I think, you know, Miles Robinson probably took the biggest hit. Uh, but then for me, you know, one thing I think we saw again is, for me, I just don't think Jazzy Zardes has a place on this on this roster. I would much rather see a, a combination of Pepe, Jesus, and fill-in-the-blank of Sargent, Pifak, you know, or DK if once he comes back healthy, if he starts, you know, turning it on and in scoring goals, so it's it's just for me. We know, and it, it's okay, you know, for uh, call it Gold Cup or something like that. That you know, Zardes can come in and fill that in. But I think when we're on our way to Cutter, for me, he he just doesn't deserve to be there, and that's not me taking a shot at him. That's just from what I've seen of enough games with him wearing a USMNT jersey. He scores a lot of goals against lower-level clubs but or lower-level international teams, but for me, it just hasn't been enough. I just want to see something new. I want to see Greg try other tactics, look at other people, because we've we found that doing the same thing over and over again is not resulting in goals from open play.
2: It might not be the worst time to call in Balogun. If we're going to call in Zardes, why not call in Fuller and Balogun? Balogan um, didn't necessarily look
3: great dude, against Manchester United.
2: Yeah. No, he didn't. But
3: uh, listen,
0: yeah, but also <laughs> listen to what you just United. said. You're, yeah. yeah, exactly. Listen to what do you mean? A championship team didn't dominate against. And that Man City <laughs> team was not like their bench squad. Yeah. If you look at the starting squad for them. It was a strong city team.
2: All right, Tom, who was your stock down? And then we're going to go to Manny for his recap stock up and stock down.
3: For me, my stock down has to go to Sebastian Leggett. <laughs> Someone who had stock for no good reason at this <laughs> point doesn't feature on a bench for either of the first two matches and then only features on the bench because we had too many injuries and he had to feature on the bench. doesn't see a single minute. That was his first time dressing for a game in two windows. It was his first time. I, we haven't seen him play since the October window, it feels like he is getting sent to pasture a la Jackson Ewell.
2: Are we happy about that?
3: Yes. <laughs> yes. I, no, no disrespect to Sebastian Legette. He's had his moments for the U.S. men's national team. They have not come over the last year. He's been very poor every single time he's played since at least March. It was time to send him back to MLS and let him work whatever is going on out. If he ever earns it back again, sure. Call him up in a friendly and see what he's got. But
2: it's, it just was, it was time. It's been a long time coming. I feel like you just hit the nail on the head, which was the word earn. That to me is my biggest gripe with Greg overall. And if we, if we send people back and don't call them in because they haven't earned their place, there are more than enough opportunities for Sebastian LeJet over the MLS season to be you know, an all-star player, to be a best 11 player, and to potentially work his way back. But he needs to earn it and show that he can provide something of value over and above a Gianluca Busio, over and above a Luca De La Torre, to earn his spot on this team. All right, Manny has joined us. I know he wanted to say something about the recap of the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying window and his stock up, stock down. Manny, what
1: do you have to say? Um, not the, the window that, not the nine point window we were hoping for, but you know, we, we, we got six and so that was good enough, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) some tactical things need to be cleaned up there. I don't know if that's going to be possible. I don't know if if, if our manager is so stubborn that he won't, that he will. I don't know. Um, but that's my biggest takeaway from this window, um i hope the players have i hope they've gained something from this experience of of basically freezing their asses off uh the whole window um something that they can tell their grandchildren and um we got work to do this last window so that's yeah that's my biggest takeaway Um as far as like stock down, are we are we doing both stock up and stock down or just stock down? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So stock down for me will be Miles Robinson. Um he just didn't look he just didn't look great. And I and I'll even go as far as saying like the only time that I will want him starting is if Walker Zimmerman is his partner. Because any other partner, he does I don't know, for whatever reason, Walker keeps the back line he keeps his but he keeps his uh other center back partner right for whatever reason. Um when it when it's just been when it's just been him and Richards, I don't know, they've kind of been wonky. Um so I, I really don't know this whole situation with Tim. Like, if he's comfortable in MLS, I, I hope that's not the case or, or whatever. But I do. I definitely think like he would be at a disadvantage if he does not try to challenge himself elsewhere. He need he needs to do that. Um, as far as stock up, I mean, obviously, I think delatory we could because we didn't even know if. Greg even really rated Luca Delatorre. I mean, I think the the fan base knew knew of you know of Luca and and what he's been doing in the you know in the divisi. Um Stock up definitely, and I think that that just shows that he'll probably be the he'll be the sub for whichever MMA you know um, midfielder does not suit up or, or play. Well, not suit up, but like start on a bench or something and uh so yeah that's my stock up and stock down
2: there were even rumors that so, because Gianluca Busio had COVID Luca De La Torre was the last minute call up to this roster
1: I don't want to believe that because that's the case Greg don't let me find where your house is in Chicago man <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right but I mean, at this point, we're 45 minutes into the pod. So, you know, I'm not trying to do anything crazy or, you know, blow up my account like I did previously speaking about Miles. But I will tell you for sure that he he wants to come play abroad. I can confirm that for sure. He wants out. And there are offers. And there are offers. Yes. Yeah.
1: Didn't we, didn't we, didn't, well, didn't we talk about this on a previous episode that there are, are concrete offers out there and... um
0: Yeah, we talked about the the offers, but just previously when you were talking about, you know, you don't know if he's comfortable or if he wants out or if he wants to stay in Atlanta. I I can say for sure that he wants to come abroad.
2: And if you don't think Ryan has good sources, then you should follow his account six hours before the U.S. Men's National (laughs) Team roster comes out and see who he has right. And I'm pretty sure it's close to 100 percent, so don't get it twisted on Ryan's name. Put some respect on Deutsche Yank's Twitter account. All right, Tom, now it's your turn to turn on the Jets here and talk us through what is happening in this last window. The U.S. has an away game against Mexico, a home game against Panama, and an away game against Costa Rica. Again, if we beat Panama, it seems like we're likely in, but there is a chance, there is a scenario where even if we beat Panama and lose to Costa Rica and Mexico and Costa Rica gets all nine points. They will finish at 25 where we're at 24 and push us out. So talk us through what's most likely, what's going to happen in this last window.
3: Do you want the doomsday scenario first or the good scenarios first?
2: Give, give us the Always good doomsday. news. Give us
3: the most probable news.
2: All
3: right. There's a doomsday <laughs> scenario out there that I really love that I found that I want to mention where there's a, there is a way we lo- We beat Mexico at Azteca and finish fifth, but Mexico qualifies.
1: That Say is that sort again? of my.
3: There is a scenario where we beat Mexico in Azteca to start the window, fail to qualify, get eliminated from even the playoff spot, but Mexico auto qualifies.
0: God, that'd be the worst
3: dry hump of a window ever.
1: You said <laughs> a dry hump.
3: <laughs> if yeah, Panama, getting you excited Panama, and Costa in Yeah. Panama and Costa Rica could finish with nine points in that scenario. The US could finish with three, and Mexico would be free to get a six point window still. And it would finish Canada with thirty, Mexico with twenty seven, Panama with twenty six, and Costa Rica with twenty-five, and the US at twenty four. So that's the worst case scenario that I could find. That's sort of
1: what's the what's the probability on that?
3: I haven't actually run the numbers yet it's you're a the, th- you're the
1: nerd guy do you mean you didn't you you didn't run the numbers yet that that's your job <laughs> ryan I, I gave was... his medical status <laughs> tom what are you doing
2: i'm
3: taking a break from <laughs> the numbers for a bit i've got <laughs> other numbers to run that are more relevant to my thesis but yeah i've run some of the scenarios out it's not likely but it's more likely than you would want to believe the big scenario holding it back is a does canada try this window b does the U.S. beat Panama? Because the U.S. beating Panama fundamentally is the result that controls all of this. Essentially, if we beat Panama, we are no worse than fourth. If we get a result anywhere else and beat Panama, we're no worse than third. So four points plus we qualify. Unlikely to see wins at either Mexico or Costa Rica. More likely at Costa Rica than Mexico. But any tie there would be good enough as long as we beat Panama. If we finish with three points... Against Costa Rica or Panama, we can do no worse than fourth. And we cannot finish below whoever we beat. But if we finish with less than three points, then a nine-point window from either Panama or Costa Rica or both is where we start to sweat and we start to worry that we could end up falling below both of those teams. I think even a draw against Costa Rica wouldn't be enough to stop them from finishing above us if they win their other two games and we don't get a win somewhere else. So those are sort of the big scenarios that we have to worry about right now. The Panama match is the most important, but we need one point somewhere else to be safe. If we get three points, the three points has to come from somewhere that's not Mexico for us to be safe. And two points so below, all bets off.
2: We don't want to beat Mexico at Azteca.
3: <laughs> we want to beat Mexico at Azteca, but we don't want that to be our only points from the window because that's where we start to have disasters fall in.
2: The... I'm being a little silly.
3: Oh, yeah. No, true. <laughs> but I am, too, even bringing that scenario up. Uh, the, the way that the schedule works out is really weird. So we have Mexico, who has the U.S. at home, but they also have two matches against El Salvador and Honduras to close. So we can sort of assume they're going to qualify because it would be a shock if they don't. We have Panama, who gets to host Honduras and gets to host Canada on the last day, who will 9,000% be qualified already and might even just send a U23 team out there for that match. I'm not sure they're going to play full strength at that match. Panama could very easily beat Canada in the last match of the window. Costa Rica gets the U.S. at home. They get Canada at home. They don't have as hard of a road as we are going to have, we have the hardest window of any of the competitors left. So we're going to have to really make it count and we're going to have to pick up points. Otherwise things get stressful.
2: The one big question that I have sure? for go ahead, Ryan.
3: Go ahead, Jake. No, no, you go Jake.
2: I was just going to say the one big question that I have for you guys as a panel is it seems like Mexico has struggled almost more than the U S has. But Tom, you mentioned that they do have a much, much easier window than us. Are you expecting any points in Azteca?
3: I think we can pick up a point. I I I think it'll be hard to win, but I think we can pick up a point.
0: One thing I think needs to be taken into consideration for that game, and I just don't think we'll have absolutely our full strength eleven. I think the smart play is to not put Adams out out there just because he's on that yellow, and to save him for the Panama match at home. Uh, But, you know, Acosta did it, what, during the Gold Cup. So... You know, he's, he's played against this Mexico team and looked good before. I think he'd be reasonable to slide in there. Um, But yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Jake of, you know, Mexico is the, they're not the Mexico of even four years ago. You know, it's, it's a different team right now. I think they're kind of going through an awkward transition period between, you know, younger and older players and they haven't quite figured it out yet, but, you know, Tata's a great coach. They still do have a lot of good talent on that team. But if they continue to not gel and continue to not put it together, especially even just in a one-game match against the U.S. in the Azteca, I mean, I'm I'm moderately optimistic that we can go down there and win for the first time.
3: Have we noted the personnel who are going to be out for that game for Mexico? Go for it. Hector, no. Herrera, picked up, Hector Herrera picked up a second yellow against Panama. He is out. He will be suspended. Chucky Lozano has a that dislocated has shoulder been. now. He will not play in that game, most likely. I would be shocked if he gets back to Napoli before mid-March at the earliest. I would be shocked if he features against the U.S. when they have two bigger games left. So we'll be missing at least those two, which are huge losses for Mexico. Especially when they're not even calling up Johan Vasquez for meaningful minutes right now. Those are major players that Mexico will be missing across the line.
2: The U.S. has drawn their last two World Cup qualifiers at Azteca in the last two qualifying rounds. So it's not out of the question that we could get points there and we could get a result. And like you said, the big game is against Panama at home. That's going to be in Orlando, Florida. So I hope a lot oh, of you guys watching can make it to that game. Guys, do we do we have a reason Okay, this is silly. Do we have a reason to worry? Obviously, yes, <laughs> we have yes. a reason to worry. Yes. <laughs> but but what are the what's the positive take? What's the optimistic take coming at, into the last window? That,
3: yeah. That's, yeah,
1: that's, that's, what it that's the down positive to.
3: take. Basically, yeah. if we beat Panama, the worst we can do is the qualifier against New Zealand. That's a pretty safe place to be. Assuming that Canada, who still needs a point to qualify, any point does it for them. But assuming that they just decide to pace Costa Rica for fun um, and we beat Panama, we're through. If Costa Rica loses... And we beat Mexico. We will auto qualify for the World Cup in Azteca.
1: Let me say this. I think there, uh, no, no, Go take ahead, it, No, go ahead, Ryan. No, no,
3: you take it, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think there's some, I think there's some, I think there's room for optimism, um, in this one, right? So, you know, in the past, Costa Rica and Mexico have probably been the the two hardest away matches. In the history of World Cup qualifying Right um, The reason why things I think are are Different now um, You know in, in the past The the altitude And being in Mexico City And, and Azteca um, You know being the daunting stadium That it is I think Have posed problems For the past generations Of uh, Of guys I think what's going to even it out is that some of these guys on Mexico side are also in Europe too. And so they don't necessarily play at similar um, altitudes as Mexico city. So they're going to have issues as well. I mean, I think it's a, it's an even playing field on, on, on that front. I think that that was probably one of the bigger, um, I, I guess, disadvantages of, of playing Mexico there, because usually they'll train, you know they'll train in Mexico City for however many weeks to get acclimated, and for whatever reason we would just train. I don't know, maybe not as long or even not in a similar environment to get prepared to you know to 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 be winded in that type of um, environment. And so I think that's kind of where the drop off is. Now in in the case of like Costa Rica. Costa Rica, uh, that's the Saprisa Stadium, used to be horrid. It
2: mm-hmm. used to
1: be so like like, I mean, it still is kind of like closed in and whatnot, but the turf field was so horrible. Like it literally, it was like carpet on cement. And so every type of bounce or everything, it was just it was just so complicated to play on. Mm-hmm. Well now. They have a grass, like now they replaced it with the actual sod grass field. And so it's that's not as bad. So, um, and also Costa Rica is coming at the end of their, you know, basically their golden period of players that have carried them through previous cycles. And now they're coming to the tail end. They don't really have any youth, um, as far as I know of, to really inject. Into that team, so we'll see what happens with them, you know, going forward. But they're really at the tail end, and so yeah, those are the things that I think of, and where there could be possibly be some optimism, um, going into this last window.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I, I think, think there's uh, you know an optimism. I think one thing that we still have to remain optimistic about is, guys, this is the most talented team that we've ever had. I mean, to to look at it, of you know, we have. Like, as someone that lives near the Autobahn, and I get to drive on the Autobahn every day, like, we have a sports car, but we have a layperson driving it. If, if we can just figure out how to drive the sports car appropriately, then, you know, the sky's the limit. We can go 200 kilometers, 250 kilometers an hour and feel comfortable doing it.
3: What it comes down to for me is we have to feel positive, but we also have to remember that this is going to be the window. We're talking about breaking down a low block. Costa Rica has done nothing but bunker in this window, and they have done it excellently. They bunkered against Jamaica. They came out with a result. They bunkered against Mexico, I think it was, and came very close to a result. They bunkered against Panama, and were able to get a result there. Them bunkering with Kalenovic in goal is dangerous. They're old. They're slow, But if they have played a low block, we're going to have to really work to break them down. Panama also can play that low block very successfully, although I think they'll come out and play a little bit more straight up. So in these two pretty crucial games, it's going to be that same old question. Can we break down the low block? I'm confident we can with the results on the line, but that's what it comes down to at this point. Can we break down a low block and get points? That's a tough question to
2: ask any U.S. men's national team fan (laughs) right now. (laughs) All right, so we ended on some optimism, but I want to hear from you guys the last word before we wrap up. Let's go again, reverse order. Tom, what's the last word from you?
3: Last word for me, it's just it's going to be a busy couple, a busy six weeks. Looking forward to this next window. There's a lot of U.S. men's national team players are going to get some time to work in Europe. We're going to get the MLS season starting back up. I'm excited. I'm optimistic that we're going to end up in Connor. Uh For me, i got about six weeks until I finish my thesis and defend. So it's going to be the same level of work for me to get ready for this next uh, really challenging time. So, yeah, excited to see it all play out. I'm excited to put in the work.
2: Awesome. Ryan?
0: Uh, I would just say, as you know, we wait until March 27th that – you know, during that time, just remember how many players that we've been excited about or down on throughout this entire window. Uh, I, like I said earlier, personally myself, you know, I, I didn't see as much as I wanted to out of Zimmerman early on. And, you know, here I am a couple of windows later saying that, you know, he's the most improved for me. So, you know, we're still a long way from Cutter. We're even still a long way from March 27th. So, you know, I don't think we need to be too reactionary at this time. Let's just continue to, to watch games and kind of like Tom said, you know, we'll get MLS guys that are coming into form as well. So the handful of guys that are deserving that will be, you know, hopefully working their way into regular season shape. And just realize, guys, that, you know, all it takes is one win against Panama and hopefully a point away. So let's get our boys into form. And let's not overreact to anything right now and just realize that, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're coming to the end of that marathon. But, you know, let's let's not be too reactionary like we typically can be.
2: Yeah. Manny, how about you?
1: We need to start this, this, these episodes earlier so I can come <laughs> in on time. Jake. No. <laughs> um. <laughs>
3: Fired. <laughs>
1: fired.
2: We're, we're across four different time zones. I think you can cut us some slack. Hey nah nah
1: <laughs> nah you, you make it work for everybody else. You can make it work for me. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> um so well, I don't know guys. I I I'm I'm being optimistic, but at also at the same time, there's a lot that can happen in six six weeks. Um, you want to knock on the knock on wood. Make sure everybody's healthy. Um, but yeah, this this last window got to take care of business, and hopefully, all the players know what's at stake. Um, I don't I don't know how catastrophic another failure to go to a World Cup would do, not only for the program but for the country a country that's still trying that's still growing um, in the sport. Loving the sport, um, getting to know the sport. Um, we don't know how catastrophic that could be. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to remain optimistic and 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 knowing that I don't even think we're gonna even gonna go to the playoffs. We're gonna actually auto-qualify because we're gonna be Panama in Orlando. You wanna know why? Because I'm gonna be there. So we're if good, anybody's man. going to the game, let me know. Get a few drinks. Some ass. don't am but <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely. You know, if you're going to the game in Orlando, you know, let me know. You know, make this thing a good thing and get three points. Go to the World Cup. So yeah, I
2: feel like it's it's great that we're in control of our own destiny. Still scary. Still, we we had a high chance of qualifying automatically when we were playing in Trinidad and Tobago. Even if we lost, there was still a high chance of us getting to the World Cup, and that didn't happen. So without any of these games played, we own our destiny trying to punch this ticket. So I am like you, Manny. I'm going to stay optimistic. And when we get to play these games, we'll see what the results are. But that is still up to us to decide. Guys, thank you so much for watching this episode of FIFA America. Please like so more people can find it, and YouTube will share it with more people. We are gunning for 5,000 subscribers by that March 27th game. So please hit hit that red button if you are not subscribed to the channel. And if you want to talk about U.S. Men's National Team soccer 24-7 and you're still here an hour later on this podcast, then (laughs) click the Discord link down below and you can get into the FIFA America Discord and talk with the 60-plus other people that are watching the U.S. Men's National Team and join the best community in U.S. Men's National Team. Alright, that's it for the episode. We will see everyone next week on FIFA America. Think
1: before you tweet. Think before you tweet. That's all I ask.
2: Always so wise. Don't hit say
1: <laughs> If you if you think it sounds stupid, it probably does sound stupid. So don't don't tweet it.
2: That that would reduce like ninety-seven percent of tweets, Manny. Well, I don't think Twitter yeah. would like that. Well, that's not my problem. <laughs> All right, we're going to leave before we say anything else destructive to (laughs) the lives of Twitter warriors. Peace, everyone. This
0: is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand.